All right, friends, would you please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be in a couple of different uh, passages, books of the Bible. Today we'll look at Ephesians chapter 1. Hi, sweetheart. Uh, we'll then be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we'll be back in Ephesians chapter 5. So Ephesians chapter 1, then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then Ephesians chapter 5. We are studying, considering for four weeks, uh, the nature of the church, what it means to be us, what it means to be together. We have looked at Jesus, the head of the church. We have understood the message of the church, the gospel, last week. And today we're going to look at the people of the church. And then next week we're going to conclude with the purpose of the church. So today is the people of the church. And so if I could just have the kids' attention for just a second, or all those who are able to give attention in any single direction. Uh, the struggle is real, I get it. Um, but today we're going to talk about three things about the local church. Three things about the local church. That, that the church is a family. The church is a body. And that the church is a bride, that the church is a family, the church is a body, and the church is a bride. Say it with me together, whether you are a child by age or a child of God. There are three things we're going to talk about today, that the church is a family, that the church is a body, and the church is a bride. And so kids, if you are able, you have three assignments today. You need to either draw a picture of a family, a body, and a bride, or write words that come to mind for you, when you think about the church, these people who we're with today, this is, this is our family. These are a community that we make up a body together. And by God's grace, we are a bride. We are the bride of Christ. And so, kids, you've got that assignment. Three things that you've got to draw or write about. A family, a body, and a bride. And with that being said, church, let's ask for God's help. Because it may sound simple, and yet there is an eternal worth of knowledge that we must understand about these three living illustrations that the scriptures give us about who we are, the people of God, a family, a body, and a bride. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask for your help today. Uh, because though your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it's not something we can understand by ourselves. We need the spirit of God to illuminate the scriptures, to give us insight and understanding into the word of God. And so I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, who are gathered with us today, that, that today they would even long to be a part of this family, a part of this body, and, and to be a part of this bride that you have called your people, the church. And so help me, help me to be clear, help me to be responsible with your word. And, and as we hear your word proclaimed, may we all be humbled. And may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers, that we would embody these great pictures you have given us that give us clarity about our identity as your people. And so, God, help us in this today. Convict us of sin. Equip us for righteousness and send us out on mission so we can put a huge dent in the kingdom of darkness in this city, in this world, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. So first, we're going to consider the very first thing that the scriptures teach us about what it means to be the people of God or the church is that we are a family. To be sure, there are a number of illustrations and a number of pictures that the, church, or that the Bible gives us, but these are preeminent. These, these are primary visions of the local church or illustrations of the church that we ought to be mindful of to help us understand our identity. And the first is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless 
before him. And let's pause right there before we consider the rest. Notice the language that the Apostle Paul opens up this particular letter with. In fact, it's the same language he uses to open up 2 Corinthians. And it's the same language that Peter uses to open up his letters to the scattered church. And it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he could have introduced God to his readers in any way that he desired. But he uses particular language. He says, blessed be the God and what? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or another way for us to put it more particularly is blessed be the, the God, the Father of the Son. Blessed be God, the Father of the Son. Now, why is this so important? Why, why do we take so much time to make sure that we don't miss these particular words as opposed to just giving us the big picture of what Paul is saying? Because what Paul precisely is beginning with is that our salvation or every spiritual blessing comes from a family. Think about that. The blessings that God extends to us and the salvation that God provides for us is through a pre-existing eternal family that you and I likely call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so when we consider the scriptures and we consider our own identity about what it means to be the church, we should first understand that we've been saved by a family. We have been saved by a family that has already existed in perfect harmony, in perfect joy, in perfect love. Now let's pause right there. Because a lot of us got a lot of baggage when it comes to that word family, right? A lot of us look back, we hear that word, we think about our mom, our dad, our siblings. It's not harmonious. It's not joyful. There's not a lot of love there. And in fact, maybe we think about this first illustration and go, if the church is a family, I don't want any part of that. One of the challenges of coming to the scriptures is allowing the scriptures to teach us about the truth of something and not our experience to tell us the truth about the scriptures. Are, are you tracking with me? We are, we are to come to the scriptures and ask, what is the truth about our world? Not go to the world and ask, what is the truth about the scriptures? And so we allow the Bible to teach us what family is. And if we want to know what family is supposed to look like, we look to God. We look to the one who is one and yet three, who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And God sovereignly chose these words to describe himself. To reveal himself to humanity as Father, Son, and Spirit is a way of saying this is what family looks like. This is what family looks like. See, because not only have we been saved by a family, we've been saved into a family. Look at verse 5 and following. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose of which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is a good father. This is a good family. And not just a family that we aspire to. What does the text tell us? What does the word of God say? You've been adopted into that family. You're a part of that family. So not only have you been saved by a family, you've been saved into a family. And by the way, this is not like the upper echelons of Christianity. If you're in Christ, you're in the family. You're in the family. You are part of the family 
of God. And it's a family that you could not have joined on your own. This is why this language of adoption is so critical for us to understand. It was at the cost of the family that already existed. See, Jesus died so that what separated you from the family could be eradicated, could be dealt with, could be forgiven, could be healed. That's the language here that we read about, that he has lavished forgiveness upon us for our trespasses. He's lavished riches of his grace upon us so that he would make known the mystery of his will. This is a really good father who loves us so much that he has adopted us in as full citizens or full sons and full daughters of this eternal family. So we've been saved uh, by a family. We've been saved into a family. And Paul's not even done yet. As he continues on, look at verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard, the, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How good is this family? See, not only have we been saved by a family, not only have we been saved into a family, but we have been saved as a family. If you look back through this particular text, Paul does not use you language singularly. He uses us and we language, that our salvation is a communal experience as the people of God. We have been saved together through this family, by this family, for this family, and as a family. Because think about it. Who gets the inheritance? Who gets the inheritance in any family? It's the family members. So if you want the inheritance of the father, you need to acknowledge and understand that you're a part of the family right now. It's beautiful. He gives you this eternal inheritance, and he says, and actually the reward starts right now. You get to be a part of this family now. So we have been saved by a family. We've been saved for family or into a family, and we've been saved as a family. I want to suggest to you that what Satan would have you think is you're not fit for this family. What the evil one would have you believe is that family makes things messy. I'm just going to do this by myself. But the word of God says, despite the fact that in our sin we are undeserving, he welcomes us in through the, adoption, the adoptive work of his son. And now Jesus, even in John 15, prays that we would know that we are loved even as he is loved. He says, Father, would you love them even as? In other words, we don't have a secondary kind of affection from the Father as simply some sort of downgraded or secondary version of sons and daughters. We are loved as the eternal son. Church, to be the church and to understand what it means to be the people of God, to be the people of the church, we need to understand family from God's view, from his word. But not just a family. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 and following. And kids, if you're keeping up, you got to move on to the second one. All right? If you're keeping up, you've drawn your picture of the family. You've written words that come to mind when you think about family, as we've talked about here in God's word from Ephesians chapter 1. And now we're going to talk about the body. Because the church is a family, but the church is also a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 reads this way. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
See, the church is constantly referred to throughout the scriptures as a body or as the body because it is not just some nondescript or generic body. We are the body of Christ. What that means particularly is that because Jesus is ruling and reigning, fully God, fully man over all things, he has commissioned and empowered and even designed his church to be the physical and visible representation of himself in this world. Not, not, not of what we desire, right? If we've died to ourselves and been risen to new life in Christ, we are meant to represent to the world the reality of Jesus. He, here's what this means, that when people look at us, they're supposed to see Jesus. When people look at the way that we love one another, they're supposed to see the love of Jesus. When they see the way that we respond to our neighbor in need, they're supposed to see Jesus. When they see how we actually confess our sin one to another or are humble before our neighbors, they're supposed to see the beauty of the forgiveness and power and mercy of Jesus. Are you with me, church? That when the world sees church in the square, they're supposed to capture a whisper of the reality of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, because we're his body. We're his body. So first and foremost, what it means to be his body is that we represent Christ. But it's more and more particular than that. Let's continue reading. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. In other words, you don't really have a choice. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be, where the body would be, or rather, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpleasant parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What's it look like to represent Jesus rightly in the world? I think Paul gets at two things here, is that we work together and we feel together. We work together and we feel together. In other words, God has bestowed different gifts, abilities, insight, wisdom. Some of you are so wise that when you come to a complicated or frustrating situation, immediately you consider God's word and what he is like. Some of us are not very wise. We need those men and women in our lives to help remind us of the truth and beauty of God's word in very frustrating situations. Some of you are really patient. Some of you are really, really patient. Some of you are not. Some of you naturally love someone who's different from you. Others, fear comes up to you. See, all of us are gifted differently. Some of you are fantastic in different ways that others are weaker in. And it's supposed to be like that. It's actually by design. We are supposed to understand that we have weakness and lack so that as the body, we don't think we are a complete body in and of ourselves. We need each other. We need each other. And so what it means to represent Christ well to the world is actually working well together. 
serving one another, but also, and here's what many of us have a problem with, letting others serve us well in the ways that God has gifted them. And many of us are ready to serve our brothers and sisters. We, at a drop of a hat, we'd run to whatever they need. But when our needs start surfacing and our weakness starts surfacing, are we just as willing to let our brothers and sisters take care of us? That's a body that works well together. Because as Paul says, the eye cannot accomplish what the hand can, and the hand cannot accomplish what the eye can. They need each other. We need each other, church in the square. If this pandemic has taught us anything, has it not taught us that we need each other? That we need, desperately need to gather together, to pray together, to weep together. And that introduces us to the second part. The church doesn't just work together like some utilitarian function that we just get stuff done, right? What does the text tell us? It also says that we feel together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. In, in other words, we are so connected that when you are lamenting, when you are hurting, so do I. I can't just walk away from that and just go, wow, that sounds like it's a bad day for her. And, and equally, when I'm celebrating, you don't just go, ah, I wish I was experiencing that. You actually celebrate along with me and I along with you. We weep together. We grieve together. We celebrate together. We feel together. See, we don't just work together to represent Christ. We feel together to represent him as well. And the only way I think that we achieve that as a body is if we know each other. See, because underneath all of this, how can I serve you if I don't know you? If I don't know your needs? And how can, I, how can you serve me unless you know me, unless I'm living vulnerably and authentically with you? How can I feel your sorrows if you don't share your sorrows? How can you share my sorrows if I'm not willing to share mine? Are, are you picking up on this, church, that it's when we trust each other and live authentically together and actually confess our sin one to another that we actually become something that we're called to be? We work together. We feel together, and therefore we represent Christ well together as what? The body. Because this is what a body does. I, I don't know about you, but when I stub my toe, my whole body is out. My whole body is down for the count, right? It's not like I go, come on, toe, figure it out, right? Everything else is functioning well. I just wish you would get it together. And in other respects, when, when our bodies are feeling well, everything is working well. It's all connected. See, as it is with the body, we are one member, yet we are all one body. See, the church is a family, and the church is a body. And lastly, the church is a bride. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Perhaps you have heard much about the church being a family, perhaps you've heard much about the church being a body, but we rarely, I think I should say less frequently, speak about the church as a bride. But this is what the scriptures teach us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and following says this, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, 
because we are members of his body. Therefore, verse 31 says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Le leaving behind for at least our immediate consideration some really important questions about the nature of earthly marriage. I think when we read this particular text, we walk away, and I think appropriately, with a little bit of confusion. A little bit of confusion. What I mean by that is that when we read this particular text, it's hard to know when Paul is talking about earthly marriage and when he is talking about Jesus and the church. When he is talking about earthly marriage, in other words, and when he is talking about cosmic marriage between God and his people. And that's kind of the point. In much the same way that when we view a godly family, we're meant to think about the family of God. In much the same way, when we look at a godly church, we're meant to think about the body of Christ or Christ himself. We are to look at earthly marriages, godly earthly marriages, and consider the union between Jesus and his church. There are realities of an earthly marriage that are meant to therefore be embodied by the local church. And in particular, I think that is holiness and preparation, or purity and getting ready for an eternal union between Jesus and his people. See, Paul is ultimately giving us a picture here that, that God is doing two things in the church and that Jesus is doing something in particular in preparation for a particular day. He is purifying. He's making us holy, right? So we don't just do things together. We don't just share our feelings together and our emotions together. We are actually being made holy together. And isn't it true there is a level of holiness when you're in community that you realize that God is calling us to that maybe we don't recognize when we're by ourselves. Like when you're around that wise person, you aspire to more wisdom. When you're around that person who loves well and is humble, you desire to be more humble and more loving. See, the, the church is meant to function not just as a family, not just as a body, but as a bride that is being purified by Jesus Christ, who says, be holy even as I am holy for a particular day. What Paul says, he is preparing for a day, or he is preparing the church for a day, when he's going to present the church to himself without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without arrogance, without entitlement, without anger, without deception, without competition. Are you picking up on this? No pride, no animosity, just love and gentleness and peace and patience and goodness and joy and self-control. This is what Jesus is doing. So if you think it's hard to be a part of a family and a body, it's because we're also part of the bride and we're being made holy. We're being made holy. I can't get away with sin. I should not be able to get away with sin in my group or in my church because we're being made holy as the bride of Christ and being prepared in particular when one day Jesus says he will present the church to himself. He's going to come like a bridegroom and he's going to bring heaven with him like a bride adorned for her husband and there's going to be this eternal union of God and his people and we will be together forever. And so the church is a bride getting ready for that. Now let's just be real and make sure that we don't miss this. In our, in our sin, we disown the family. And in our sin, we try to make it away from the body on our own. And in our sin, we are not pure and we are not prepared. But in Christ, you are adopted into the family. In Christ, you are engrafted into this body. In Christ, you are purified and being made ready for this cosmic marriage. And therefore, as a people... No matter what we go through as a people, we are a family. May we act like it, church, in a square. 
We are a body. May, may we embrace that together, my sisters and my brothers. We are a bride. So may we be made holy and ready for a particular day when all shall be well and we will be reunited with the bridegroom Jesus forevermore as the church, the people of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your forgiveness because often we don't think about ourselves as a family, as a body, and as a bride. We often think about ourselves simply as ourselves. So would you give us a vision, a right vision today from your word about what it means to be us, what it means to be the church, what it means to be a family, what it means to be the body, what it means to be the bride of Christ. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen.